um, how many of you have ever bought something on TV or on the internet and it was not as advertised? Come on. Come on. No, come on. There's more of you than that. I asked you last month how many of you bought stuff online. It's almost all of you. So I know everybody's bought something on TV and you got that thing on. What is this? This is not what I ordered. So I, I thought I'd show you some of those products this morning. Here's the first one. Uh, this is called the Floby. Now, apparently, this is Jeff Foxworthy before he made it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, no, I'm joking. It's not really Jeff Foxworthy. It looks like him. This is a vacuum cleaner meets scissors. And you vacuum your hair up, <laughs> and it cuts it off. I don't know. That's funny to me. All right. Here's the next one, uh, which really has, this is the T-Rex wall sculpture. Fantastic gift idea, by the way. I can't imagine a, a bigger piece of junk than that right there. All right, vitamin donuts. What has happened to our nutrition? Vitamin, it's okay that it's a donut, it's been fortified with vitamins. You believe this? Here's one, seven up for babies. Mom, if you really care about your children, go ahead and mix a little 7-Up in their milk. Get them addicted early to the caffeine and the sugar. It'll be fantastic, you know, as they grow up fully addicted to 7-Up. All right, all right, here's the last one. This, this one blows my mind. Dieting with sugar. Sugar just might be the willpower you need to curb your appetite. Really? I have totally overlooked that. I didn't know a pound of Skittles is the thing I've been missing to really take the weight off. Sugar. Can you believe some of the things that uh, have been stated on television, on the internet? Do you ever get the feeling somebody's lying to us? Everyone knows what it feels like to have someone lie to them. And it doesn't feel good, does it? So in this series, here's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about Sometimes your journey with God is not so much about what you add or what you take in, but what you let go of. In other words, the enemy wants you so weighted down and so burdened down and so overwhelmed and so filled with bondage that you are, you, you are stuck. And the only things that can hurt you are the things that you won't let go of. You refuse to release them. So that's what we've been talking about in this series. What are some things that we need to let go of in order to become as free as God wants us to be? Because here's what my prayer is. As we journey through January and we get to the end of this month, this end of this 21 days, there's going to come a freedom in your life and in your home and your marriage and your family and in this church that we've never seen. But to do that, there's some stuff you and I got to let go of. There's some stuff we held on to in 2018 we can't hold on to in 2019. Last week, we talked about letting go of idols. If you missed that message, you, you can get it on uh, our podcast. Today, we're going to talk about letting go of lies. Letting go of lies. I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are absolutely being lied to. We're being lied to. And, and, and that, that might sound a little heavy, but follow me. Our picture of Satan has got to change. 
We think he's in a Halloween costume with a pitchfork, and he's a cartoon character. But that's not really how we understand him in Scripture. He's a master of deceit. He's a master of cover-up and misdirection, and he's not a cartoon character. The first time we see Satan's entrance on the earth, he is already lied to and deceived the first people, Adam and Eve, who ever lived. So this morning, if it's okay, what I want to do is I want to drag some of his lies out here in the light so we can see them. And I want to expose them with the truth and see if there's some things we can let go of that we might be more free. Are you with me this morning? So today, what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. And uh, you might just want to write the references down, okay? So let's start at John 8, 44. You belong to the Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your Father's desires. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. He was a murderer from the truth from the beginning. Listen listen to this description we have of Satan. Not holding the truth. Here it is. For there is no truth in him. This is a description of Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So let's break that down a little bit. There is no truth in him. There is no source of reality or truth in him. His native language is lying. Some people's native language is English or Spanish or Chinese or or something else. Satan's native language is lie. Like that's what he speaks. That's what he knows. That's how he talks. Furthermore, the verse says he is a liar. And not only is he a liar, watch this, he's the father of lies. Not only does he tell lies, he produces lies. His offspring are lies. He doesn't know how to do anything else. He's the source of lies. You thought Scrooge and the Grinch were mean. This guy's in a whole other category. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Not only does he tell lies, his approach is deceitful. The way he approaches you before the content is even delivered is deceitful. He appears as a person of help. He appears as a helpful resource, as a helpful voice. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what is all the lying about? What's the end game? The end game is that he might devour you and own you and fill your life so full of pain and bondage that you are not free. Now, now let's just go ahead and get that out in the open, that you'll never be free. Now, If that weren't bad enough, (laughs) Satan is an effective liar, but there's one thing on earth that's more deceitful than he is. There's one thing that will deceive you faster than Satan will, and it's the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above what? All things. And beyond cure, not only do we have Satan targeting us with lies from the outside, we have a heart on the inside that's ready to receive those things. 
and we do receive them. We soak them into our pores because they're in the water, they're in the system that we're raised in, they're in this broken creation. We, the, the first thing we encounter from childhood generally is some level of lie from the enemy that has to be dismantled and overthrown later in life or it'll never leave. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we have to be on guard against these lies because even the strongest ones of us are vulnerable to them. So do you see, we have a conundrum. (laughs) We have, a, we have a person who's targeted us, who's the most skillful liar that's ever lived, the most skillful de- deceiver who's ever lived, and we have a heart that is ready to receive that deceit. So what are some examples of these lies that we take in? My marriage is doomed. I'm going to end up just like my mother or just like my father. Nothing good ever happens to me. I'm a failure and I can't do anything right. I've always struggled with this sin, this habit, and I'm always going to struggle with it because that's just the way my life is. I cannot change. I've tried and I tried and I tried. I cannot change. I will always be sick. I can't stop worrying. I can't help that I'm afraid. I can't overcome the circumstances that I'm facing. Nothing is wrong with me. Everyone else is the problem. You see those lies? So what do we do to let go of the lies that the devil's brought us? Well, when Jesus was on earth, he had at least one direct confrontation with Satan himself. And it was, of course, when Jesus was at his weakest moment. He was fasting. (laughs) He was praying. He was out in the desert. And the devil came to him, and he came to him with lies. And the way that Jesus defeated the lie of the enemy was by applying the Word of God to that lie, right? Maybe you remember this story. The devil would say something, and then Jesus would say, it is written. The way that you and I are going to defeat the lies that the devil brings against us is to hide underneath the wisdom of God's Word. You are not going to outsmart him, and I am not going to outsmart him. We are not going to match wits with him. We will lose. But underneath the wisdom of God's Word, we can be victorious. So this morning, let's just call those lies out on the carpet and talk about how we can let go of them. I want to share three with you. Three lies that, that I have heard uh, over and over and over and over through years of ministry in some form or another, and three lies that I've heard personally in my own life. And at some point in your life, you will hear one of them or all of them in some form. Here's number one. I am alone. Satan wants you alone because you are weaker than you think you are when you are alone. That's why in Kingwood we say life is better together because it really is better together. And if he can't, look, Satan is the original divide and conquer. 
And if he can't get you alone, he at least wants you to believe that you are. You ever heard alone in a crowd? He at least wants you to believe that you are so that he can, so that he can uh, attack you and weaken you. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, you know, how many times did I have a parent come to me and say, hey, here's my, you know, son, can you, um, can you, can you help my son find a friend? You know, and I look over there, and there's a kid dressed in all black, you know, uh, gothed out with, with white pale makeup on their face, and every wrinkle in their skin is pierced with something. Now, I'm not saying that there's one dress style that's preferable over another one. Here's what I am saying. Sometimes we have accepted aloneness and rejection as an identity, and we own it, and it's the vibe that we communicate out. And so the answer is, no, I really can't, I really can't find a friend for your son or daughter. I can introduce them to people, and I will, but I can't bridge that gap because what's going on here is not what's between them and somebody else. What's going on here is what's inside them. And until the lies that are inside them have been counteracted with the truth, nothing out here is going to change until something in here changes. Does that make sense? So look, let me say it this way. Not, not being alone has more to do with what is in you than who is around you. So today we want to expose that lie for what it is. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, For he chose us. Those two words are so important. He chose us. In him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us. Here's the other word. For adoption to sonship through Christ. What does chose us mean? It means that you've been chosen and selected and accepted and welcomed by God and you belong to him. I, maybe you've heard this story. Um, there's a story of two siblings who found out some shocking news about their family one day. They found out that one of them had been adopted. And so they went and found their dad and they said, hey dad, we, you know, we found this out as is this true? Are one, are one of us adopted? And he said, yes, yeah, it, it is true. Of course, you know the next question. Which one? Who is it? And here's what he said. I can't remember. That's the level of acceptance God has put on your life. You are accepted and welcome and chosen and you belong to him. The other word is adopted. He chose you to be adopted. That means that you not only have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you are adopted by God, you are adopted into His family. You have inherited a family of believers that is nearly 2 billion people strong on the earth. So every time I go on a missions trip or something and I travel to another country, I am always amazed at the level that other Christians will go to to roll out the red carpet and welcome us who are coming into town as if somebody really important was coming into town and we are virtual strangers to those people. 
They will cook and clean and welcome and prepare and, and offer such extravagant hospitality. And every time I experience that welcome, I'm reminded of the truth of God's word that I have been adopted into a family. And I'm not alone. Psalm 68, 6 says it like this. God sets the lonely in families. So while we got this lie on the ropes, let's go ahead and pulverize it to powder. Look at Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Hear all the plurals? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In other words, what does this verse mean? God raised us up with Christ. It means that the same resurrection that happened in Jesus' body has happened inside you if you're a Christian. You were dead and now you are alive. You have passed from darkness into light. You have been resurrected with him and raised up with him. God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him. If you're a Christian, you can never truly say you're alone because you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Does that make sense? So you can never say that you're alone. Now here's what happens. This truth received and applied will heal your soul and will make you Uh, better prepared for relationships with other people and you will stop expecting other people to be perfect and you will stop expecting other people to meet the ache in your soul that only Jesus can meet. When in God's presence and grace you can accept yourself, then you can begin to truly accept others. Uh, Let me say it this way, and this might be a thought you want to write down. The ultimate victory over the lie that you are alone comes when you stopped expecting others to meet the needs in your life that only Jesus can meet. In other words, when you look at that spouse or that child or that parent or that friend or that whoever and you say, I no longer require you to meet the inner needs of my life. I release you from that obligation and I transfer because you, you can't meet them and you're not designed to meet them. I transfer that, that responsibility to God himself who is perfect and who will meet those in perfect supply. Letting this lie go ultim- ultimately means letting other people go from being perfect or being whatever. It's, the, it's that reality of community with God that you find the peace and strength to effectively have a relationship with other people. So let go of the lie that you're alone. If you're a Christian, you'll never truly be alone. It's not possible. Here's the second lie. I'm not good enough. Well, let's look at this description of Satan for a minute in Revelation 12.10. It says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night that has been hurled down. Do you, do you see that, that phrase, day and night? He just won't shut up. He will not stop. He's just going to accuse and accuse and badger and condemn and put down and put down and put down. And how does he accuse you? He finds some area of your life that you feel unqualified in or unworthy in or not good enough in, and he will just hammer it. 
He'll call an airstrike in on it. He will just target it and just hit it with everything he's got. And this lie takes on so many forms. I've heard it all my life from so many different You know, I never went to Bible college. I didn't grow up, you know, in a church. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I, I wasn't raised a Christian. I, I have this hidden sin in my life. You don't know what I did in my past. I'm not a pastor or anything. And can I tell you, Satan loves it, loves it, loves it. Let me tell you why. He loves when we believe we are limited and small and unqualified to live a really victorious Christian life. He loves it. That's what he wants. For you to say, well, we'll wait for the professional or the expert or, or, or what? What? If you're not good enough now, when will you be good enough? And if you're not good enough now, what will it take in order for you to become good enough? What needs to change? Let's go ahead and call this what it is. It's a lie. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those. In, if you have a real relationship with Jesus, God has washed your sin, forgiven you, and set you on a new path, and there's no condemnation or shame for the things that you've done in your past. You've been washed and forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to this, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now think about that for a minute. You are the righteousness of God. That sounds like a lot. What does it mean if you're a believer that you're the righteousness of God? It means that God took all of Jesus' holiness, all of his sinless life, all of his death, and all of his resurrection, and he gave it to you. That's what it means. And as you receive that, you have every right under God to, full of, to live a fully righteous and whole life. You are worthy. And you are worthy because God made you worthy. You are good enough because God made you good enough. And furthermore, He gave you the Holy Spirit to help you. Final lie. God doesn't love me. I, I, I believe this is Satan's greatest lie because the defining characteristic of God is love. And I believe Satan's greatest target is at, the, is at the character of God. And his defining characteristic is love. So, so Satan targets this lie with full force. He tries to sow it in, this, this belief in us as young as possible through doubts and fears and experiences that just seem to prove to us that God doesn't love us. You hear it in stories like, well, if God loved me, then why did this happen? If God, if God is love, then how, how is the world the way it is? And, and let me tell you where this lie started. In the Garden of Eden. Do you remember when the, the enemy approached Adam and Eve? And, and what does he say? He says, God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he knows if you do, you'll be as smart as he is. Basically what he's saying. What is he doubting? He's doubting God's motives. What he's trying to say is God's not good. Why would God not be good? Because God doesn't love you. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. That's what he's trying to say. 
So let's just go ahead and call this what it is. It's a lie. Every time you and I ever feel like God doesn't love us, every time we entertain the thought that God doesn't love us, we're entertaining a lie. 1 John 4.8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? God's love. That's who God is. God does a lot of things, but God is love. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. God proved his love for you and I by sending his son Jesus to walk on the earth, to live as a human, to suffer as a human, to be tried and executed as a human, and then to come back from the dead. God proved his love. That's what love looks like. It's unselfish, and it's sacrificial, and it acts. Paul the apostle was so convinced of God's love that he wrote this, Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to be as convinced as Paul is. Don't you? I, I want to be as convinced as he is that there's absolutely no force on earth that could ever separate me from God's love. This lie is so deeply ingrained in us that it takes a while for most of us to get, get it out. In 2007, I was in a, a master's degree program that was re really, really uh, very helpful for me. And in the middle of that program, some of the teaching centered on um, some, of these, some of these deeper thoughts. And, and in the middle of that program, it, it, God began to show his love to me again. And a couple of things became obvious. In my personality type, um, it's okay, and my personality type, it's okay to neglect yourself if the people around you are well taken care of. That's just a, a, that's a, something that's in my personality. So I, I began to ask the question on this journey I was on that God was leading me on. God, why is it, why is it that I feel like it's okay to neglect myself as long as other people are okay, why do I feel? Is it because I want to appear strong? Is it because I want to be independent? Is it because, what is it? What, what's, what's really the root of it? And watch this. Through, through time, the Holy Spirit showed me this. It was an incredible revelation to me. You think it's okay to neglect yourself and take care of other people because you don't truly believe God loves you. You believe he loves other people more than he loves you. It rocked me. It rocked me because I thought, I don't believe that. I believe God loves me. But that revelation was true. In 2007, the Holy Spirit brought that truth to my life and said, you have to receive my love for you. Now, now watch. I, I just want to back up for a minute. I want to slow down for a minute and unpack this. 
I, I had been a Christian for 20 years. I'd graduated with a ministry and theology degree. I'd been a pastor for 14 years. And I still struggled down deep in my soul with the belief over whether God really loved me as much as he loved other people. Now, I share that with you to say this. It is a lie that is embedded so deeply in so many of us. It does not come out easily. It is deep down in the fabric of many of our personalities, our experiences, our childhood, our lives. But in order for you to receive and to know the truth of the love of God for you personally, you have to let go of the lie that God doesn't love you. You have to make room in your soul for that truth. So this morning I want to end this service uh, and I want to read Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, um, 14 through 19. I know I've given you just a ton of Scripture. If I could only give you one, this would be the one. Paul the Apostle who wrote the verse I read earlier in Romans and also wrote this passage in Ephesians was so convinced of God's love for him that he not only wanted to know God's love himself, it was his strongest prayer. It was his greatest intention and his greatest ambition that the people that he served and the people that he taught and the people that he led would know the love of God. Because that, that changes everything. And I, I, I want you to hear it this morning from that perspective. Here's Paul's prayer. And just hear it this morning as a prayer for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, here it is, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. For what? For what? What does Paul desperately want you to have power to do, to conquer the world, to build a business, to become famous? What does he want you to have power to do? Listen to this. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's what he wants you to have power for. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to know the unknowable, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God? It's to know His love. To know God's love is to be full of God. To be full of God. 
And every time the enemy comes and tells you, you, you are alone, you, you, are, you are not good enough, you are not loved. You have a weapon in the Bible that you can counteract those lies with and defeat them in your own life and say, it is not true. It is not true. Because Jesus died for me and he loves me and he's proven his love for me again. And if you will live from that truth, it will change your relationships it will change your heart and mind. It will change your thoughts. It will change your emotions. It will change your soul. It will change the way you operate in life. Because you're living from something. You're not striving to try to earn it. Because God's already given it to you. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our prayer team if you join me, please, here uh, and prepare. Would you just close your eyes this morning and open your hearts? Today's a little different kind of message, but I, I felt it was so important to, to dig down deep underneath what it is you and I need to let go of so that, so that God can do His deeper work. So would you just bow your heads with me, please? Every eye closed. This is the point we prayed about earlier where we said, Holy Spirit, would you show me what it is that I need to let go of? And so this morning, if there's something that God has spoken to your heart about, you say, I need to let go of this fear, of this worry, of this pain, of this lie, of this unforgiveness. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter what it is. I need to let go of this thing that's been beating me down. And today, I let go and I receive the love of God and the presence of God. Today, I let go. I lay it down. I lay it down. I lay it down. With every eye closed, today, if you say, there's something in my life, there's something in my heart, there's something that God has been talking to me about that I know it's time to let it go. With every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me, that's me, I know, I know there's something in my life. Yeah, come on, good, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, just lift it up. Man, there's something in my life, thank you, in the back, in the middle, the very back, thank you. Yeah, in the very back, yeah. Yep, two or three in the back, thank you, yeah. There's some things it's time for me to let go of. See, the Holy Spirit's talking. You know why He's talking? Because He loves you and He wants you free. That's it. That's There is nothing else. That's it. He loves you and He wants you free. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to pray. And as I begin to pray, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come and find one of our prayer team and just say, hey, I, I believe God wants to do something in my life and as you as you respond what's going to happen is you're going to lay that thing down and you're going to take up God's word you're going to take up his presence you're going to you're going to take up his his love maybe you have a need of some kind and you need prayer today as I begin to pray I want you to come so as I start to pray 
I want you to go ahead and move out. Lord, I thank you today for the grace of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the love of God that does not waver. I thank you that you are faithful. And I thank you to expose the lie and the enemy and the, the mistreatment of the enemy. And you've come to offer freedom and peace and joy and love and wholeness and strength. And so today, Lord, as we've gathered together, as we respond now to you, Lord, move in this place. Come on, as the worship team begins to sing, would you just pray, Lord, move in this place. God, let, a, let, let, the, let the move of your spirit happen. Lord, let the wind of your spirit blow through this place. Come on, if you need prayer, we want you to come. Lift up your hands, receive it Receive it. Lord, we let go. We lay down. Lord, we lay these things down at your feet. Sing that. No. 